Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl from Happy Mammoth. EstroControl contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including EstroControl. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a safe, trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. Head over to teamblind.com to get the latest insights into salaries, company reviews, and interview experiences at thousands of companies worldwide. This is Including You, the new series from Lead at Any Level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Wanninger. Welcome to Including You. I'm Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm here with Charles Watkins. He's the Chief Diversity Officer and Equity Partner at Kubicki Draper, a full-service law firm with over 200 attorneys serving clients in Florida and the southern parts of Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. In addition to his work with Kubicki, Mr. Watkins serves as the Treasurer of the National African American Insurance Association, or NIA. He is currently securing funding for an endowed scholarship to help African-Americans pursue careers in insurance. Mr. Watkins, welcome to Including You. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here and to just uh, share ideas and thoughts with you. So I am thrilled to know that there is a law firm in Florida with 200 attorneys that has a chief diversity officer. <laughs> And I'm curious. I think by now there are more, but. Oh, I hope a lot of times companies say we're not really big enough to have a chief diversity officer. That's for companies with thousands of employees. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about why was having this role important to your company and why are these initiatives important to your company? The best place to start is really with the fact that the culture at our company has always been an inclusive one. I started at the company. I know it doesn't look that way because I have this baby face, but 29 years ago, and I've been in the insurance industry for well over 35 years. And I was fortunate in that coming from the insurance industry, going into law, it came down to, to two firms and one firm was offering a significantly more money than the firm that I'm at right now at that stage. But you know what? I just didn't feel comfortable 
um, with that culture. And that was 29 years ago. And I felt there was a certain warmth. There was a certain inclusiveness. I, there, they, even before I started working there, I could tell that they had plans for me and what I should do and, and a pathway. So I chose this firm, even though I was getting a, a significantly less money. Good for me, lucky for me. I performed well, met their expectations. And by the end of that first year, I was able to make up the money that I lost. I've never really looked back at that, but I say that as a start because the firm has always been about what do you offer? How can you make yourself better and the firm better? And they, they never cared about your race, your ethnicity, whether you're male or female. And I can tell you 29 years ago, there were a lot less female attorneys in, in the insurance defense space than there are now. I think back then the firm probably had maybe 35 or 38 lawyers, maybe, and I think we were unique in this, maybe we had six female attorneys, six. One that was a partner. Now I can tell you that the firm has, fifth, last time I checked, something like 52% of the firm are women of, of the attorneys in the firm are women, 52%. And a number of them are equity partners like myself. So <clears throat> it's always been that culture. And a number of years ago, as the firm started to grow and get bigger, and we had more people coming to the firm, we recognized in order to keep our culture, in order to keep what we like about this firm, we needed to establish a diversity committee and we needed to have somebody lead that. And that person was me. So I became the chief diversity officer and we've put in place several programs and several things to solidify what has always been in our ongoing culture. I love what you said about taking an offer that was less money because you thought the culture was gonna be better and you saw yourself you saw that they had a plan for you long-term. You saw yourself working there long-term. I think especially right now when companies are really strapped for talent and they're competing with employers that they've maybe yep. not competed with in the past and they may think in their minds, oh my gosh, talent's getting so expensive. But if you have the right culture in place, talent doesn't have to be that expensive. Yeah, that's true. Obviously, money always plays a role in it. And that's still very important. But people want more things than just money. I had an individual who left our company, our firm, for a tremendous amount of money more. And part of the story here with you know, diversity and inclusion with diverse individuals. And I use that term loosely because the way I look at it is that everybody is diverse. Diversity and inclusion is about hearing and respecting all the voices. It's not about excluding anybody. Well, they're the majority, so they're not diverse. It's not about that. It's about everybody being at the table. But anyway... This individual left the firm, a big national firm, I scooped him up, offered him a ton more money. And a year later, the guy's on the phone calling me and saying, hey, Charles, if, if I wanted to come back, would you guys be interested? 
And I said, of course, but we're not going to be able to match that salary. <laughs> he says, don't worry about that. I've put certain things in place. And then we negotiated something that was good for him and good for us. But it's a lot of times, it's not just about how much money you can make. It's about how you feel in your job. It's about getting all the opportunities that everybody else uh, will be allowed. So you can plan your future. It's a, it's, there's one word that really ties up the whole diversity and inclusion and equity piece for me. And it's the word, famous song that Aretha Franklin sang years ago, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's about respect. And if you think about just respecting every individual for what they can offer and what they bring to the organization, rather than looking at what the differences are and all that nonsense, just what does, you know, John Brown offer? What does Mary Jane offer to the firm? And what can we do for her or him to enhance their careers? That's all it really is. Everything else is just garbage in my mind. <laughs> Now that you're in this role, what are some of the things that you're doing to make sure that these values are internalized and operationalized throughout the company? Sure, okay. we can talk about that. We've done things like training programs on unconscious bias. We're working on a new one that deals with microaggressions. We're, we've done, because in the diversity piece, you have to acquire people so therefore you sometimes you have to look at non-traditional hiring sources right not just go to the usual sources because there's talent everywhere that's one thing that that i think people are learning now that talent is not just in the ivy league schools our talent is everywhere it's just a matter of finding it unearthing it choosing the right people for your organization, because not everybody is the right choice, but you want to have a diverse organization because, and this needs to be said more and more. I know it's old. The statistics are old. Organizations that have more diversity and certainly have diversity at the uh, decision-making uh, table do better financially and the numbers are astounding it's like something like 35 percent better if you're in business i would imagine you're in business to make a profit <laughs> so there is no reason to not seek out talent that will help you grow your business and make more profit especially as you're looking forward in the 21st century and the world is changing and our country is changing in terms of who the markets are and how you have to reach people. And again, I, I, I want to emphasize because I think a lot of people hear the word diversity and they just, oh, that's, that's for people of a certain race or black and brown people or it's for women or it's for LGBTQ and those types of things. It's for everybody. It's about bringing everybody's voices to the table so that when decisions are made, it's a decision that brings more information, not less. There's so much more I could talk about, but I know that your time is short. No, I appreciate that. And I think that I always say to, to my audiences when I speak, nobody ever made a worse decision with more information. Exactly. Right. 
So the more exactly. information you have, the better decisions you're able to make. And if you expand where you get your information, you will get different more information instead of more of the same information, which is how too many people make their decisions. They look for consensus. They look for confirmation. They don't look for dissent. They don't look for different perspectives and yeah. stop and say, what am I missing? Yeah. My, I, I learned a lot from my dad, but one of the things that he said to me that I always remember is he said, son, everybody knows something that you don't know. Even the guy in the gutter knows something that you don't know. So that means, if you think about it, that means that points to more inclusiveness, right? That points to listening. Now, doesn't mean that you're going to accept everything you hear, but you should at least have the information so you can make a determination. That's right. Make your decisions on purpose. Yep. I love that. Anything else you want to share with our listeners and viewers? Not at this time. There's, like I said, there's just a ton of things and with the firm and, you know, how we're getting along and how we're trying to include people and plans that we have for the future. So what, are, what are you doing? Now? We did a survey recently because part of what you should do as an organization is measure your success because, okay, you've working with HR and you're now bringing in people who are different. You're, you have programs to try to make people feel included. We've established some mentorship programs and things of that nature so that people have an outlet other than they're just their immediate supervisor. They can learn things and all those other things. You have to have some understanding of, is this really working, right? You may think it's working. So you do a blind survey and we had a significant number of people respond to the survey. Not everybody, <laughs> because I'm sure there are some people who figured, ah, how blind is this survey? But we learned some things. Most of it was very positive. It was a confirmation that we were definitely going in the right direction. But we also learned some things that were surprising to us and gave us pause to, to figure, okay, maybe we need some training in this area or training in that area as we go forward. But you always have to have a way of measuring your success. And uh, blind survey, good old suggestion box. <laughs> that works because sometimes you get great ideas. Sometimes you go, oh, okay, trash. <laughs> but, you know, you get them. If you don't have it, you don't get them. Those perceptions are realities to the person that submits them. Yeah, and so you have to understand where that's coming from. And then, of course, there's also some team building things that we do. We created like a spotify account where people can upload you know their music and it's shared amongst the firm and it's it, what that does is <clears throat> because we're trying to to have folks see that we're much we're all much more alike than we're different okay and we try to have things like music we can't do food as much because of the whole covid thing we can't have people gather and all that but we had music probably later this year we'll, we'll do something with recipes or something but people the more people do these things we had a young young 
picture contest, you know, so I submitted a picture of myself when I was like 12 years old and everybody has to guess who everybody is and all that. These things just build team and people begin to realize that we're not really that much different. There's so much in life that we all share, experiences that we share and experiences that make us more alike than different. Obviously there are differences because of culture and upbringing and finances and all those things. But those things are external to who people are on the inside. Okay. So, you know, those are the, some of the things that we do to try to build team and so on. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I hope that the folks listening can take something away from this in terms of things that they can do in their own organizations to help you know, push for progress and push for more inclusion and help get those uh, diverse viewpoints in the room when decisions are being made, because it is so important. Yes. And that's great. And as you, as we're talking about this and I'm thinking about, there's an equity component to this too, right? Because there's, we don't want people's demographics to determine their outcomes. And I think that's probably what's behind the scholarship work that you're doing, if I may be so bold as to, to, to guess at motivations there, but also this is such a passion for, of mine because my belief is as long as Black and brown people are underrepresented in the insurance industry, Black and brown communities will be underinsured. And closing that gap is critical to building wealth and intergenerational wealth in those communities. So this is a particular soapbox for me. So I'm going to get down off of it and let you talk, but why the scholarship and why is your firm so strongly behind what you're doing with Naya and with these? Okay. I think you've hit on, on some of the issues already. I think generally, not even just amongst black and brown communities, but certainly exacerbated in black and brown communities. Most people have no real idea about insurance. When they, when they hear insurance, they think automobile insurance, they think life insurance, I think some guy knocking on your door trying to sell you something or going to the corner store and, and, and getting some homeowner's insurance or something like that. Insurance, as you Amy, is so broad. It touches on absolutely every aspect of life and certainly every aspect of business. Okay. And in a state like Florida, where I'm from, insurance is really king down here and so critically important. And you can see the underrepresentation of black and brown people. And moreover, what's happening with two factors, the great resignation, and even before the great resignation, there were just a, you know, a ton of positions going unfilled and needed within industry. So, you know, that to me spells opportunity for black and brown kids to get involved with you know, this industry because the opportunities are there, right? Whether it's in IT uh, or, or marketing or all the various aspects of insurance. I could go on and on, management. And historically, insurance come people don't ever say, I want to grow up to be an insurance guy. That are an insurance, the girl, that doesn't happen. They go out and they get a fine arts degree and then they realize that's going to give me a good living. And then somebody, they interview for an insurance job and then they end up there. When 
what we looked at was the RMI program at Florida State. And Florida State has a co-op program with Florida A, FAMU, right? Which is probably the top historically Black college and university in the state of Florida. So what we thought was because the RMI program is number one in the country, if we were able to link with them with the organization that I'm a part of, National African American Insurance Association, the Florida chapter, we could have a triumvirate of the school, the association, and industry. So that would create a pipeline of great talent into industry through the scholarship. And the scholarship would involve of course, mentoring from Florida State, which they already have a great program, as well as from NIA, and internships with industry. So that way, industry could see from an early stage, uh-oh, the lights went off in here. If you give me a second, I could turn it back on. With the internships, then they get a chance to really evaluate the kids at an early stage to make decisions who they want. And because these kids are coming from a top program, they really have an opportunity to ultimately possibly reach C-suites, right? We're trying to get $1 million so we can have a fully endowed program and with co-ops, with what's called the CARE program, we can get as much as six to eight scholarships a year in perpetuity. As you can tell, that would create a real pipeline and answer some of the questions that industry needs. And all they would need, all an insurance company would need to do is put uh, a four-year commitment, $10,000 a year. So it's a total of $40,000. Of course, if they want to give more, I'm, I would accept that. <laughs> But 25 companies, $40,000, million, and we're off and running. And, and that's a scholarship program. That's incredible. And I, so for people who are listening to this or who are watching this who are outside of the insurance industry, there are a couple of things I want to explain. First of all, RMI is risk management and insurance. That's right. a major or a school within the school. There are fewer programs, fewer RMI programs now, I believe, nationwide than there used to be in colleges and universities. Is that correct? I think so. And it's never really been very popular. I know St. John's in the New York area has a pretty famous one. And, and clearly Florida State does too. I'm sure there are some in California, probably one in Texas. It's not an MBA where you can just go to almost any university and sign up for that. Yeah. And here in Indianapolis, where I live, Butler University has an RMI program. They're one of the few here in Indiana that do. But I also want to get back to this concept or this idea that you had where like insurance is in everything. And if you've not worked in the industry, you get, you've led me to another soapbox, Mr. Watkins. <laughs> so if you're not, if you've never worked in the insurance industry, I want you to imagine for a moment that there's this invisible web that ties everything together that makes all economic investment possible, that every dollar you spend has been touched by insurance a thousand times before you even spend it. And that's what we're talking about here. When we talk about this notion that there are just not enough people coming into the industry, if we don't maintain, so I get so passionate about this, but if we don't maintain insurance as an industry, if we don't have people doing this important work, 
then commerce can't happen. People can't start businesses. People can't build homes. People can't buy cars. There are so many things that will be, it's one of those things that as long as it's working, you don't notice it. But if it stops working, our entire economy gets very risky very quickly. If, if you think of 2008, when we came close to a financial collapse, um, it was what's the beginning of what saved our industry was propping up AIG, right? Which is with $80 billion, which, you know, because they were involved in insuring all those mortgage, I forget what they call them now, but the bad mortgages, basically. And if AIG had gone down, then that was going to start the domino effect of essentially shutting down our entire economy. So yes, you're absolutely correct, Amy. And you can call me Charles, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) And the other thing about this that's so critical right now is that the baby boomers are starting to retire. The industry is very baby boomer heavy in terms of the people in the industry today. And something like 30 to 40% of the industry is retirement eligible. So we just don't have enough people to be underwriters and to be actuaries and to be producers and to work in the industry. And you were talked about marketing and IT and HR, anything you want to do as a career, you can do in the insurance industry. And people don't think of it because it's not sexy. Working in exactly. Hollywood is sexy or working in tech <laughs> is sexy. And it, oh gosh, I we could talk about this part all day, but I love what you're doing because it solves a couple of problems. One, it helps employers see talent that they might otherwise overlook because these young kids coming out of college don't look like the people that they expect to see coming into their insurance companies, first of all. The second thing is it actually helps young people see all of the opportunities that are available in the industry. And then you're really building that bridge of helping, not only helping them see the bridge, but helping them get across it and have people waiting for them on the other side to guide them. And it's a win-win because you're bringing in people into the organization that know about insurance. You're not bringing in, and I'm not disparaging fine arts in any way or shape or form, but I'm just using it as an example. You're not bringing in a fine arts person who has no concept of what insurance is. And you're going to essentially use the next two years to teach them all about industry so that they can be beneficial to your corporate corporation. You have an intern, they're already studying risk management. They come in and they're already, they're good to, they know what it's about and they know what they want. And you in industry has had an opportunity to evaluate them because they were your intern. So I, I, I think it's a real win-win. It, it answers that question about getting talent when there's a talent shortage. And it also brings in people who are diverse, which there definitely is a shortage of that in, in the insurance industry as well. So yes, that's why I'm, I am, I'm gung ho and all in about this because I I see this as, as a real win-win situation. And so does my, and so does my firm, because obviously my, my firm, we're an insurance defense firm. And most of our clients are big insurance companies. So it certainly behooves us as, as a law firm to be in support of things that support industry. And it's look, 
this idea came to me and and other colleagues who are in Naya as a result of seeing all the craziness that took place in 2020. And we wanted to uh, do something that was positive, something that moved the needle and created real opportunities in the African-American community. I think it's fantastic. And I hope you get every penny you look, you seek and more. This is an issue that needs to be solved and big, right? There are like big solutions to this problem for big reasons. And I think every step that we can take toward diversifying the industry and creating that pipeline and helping people secure really good middle-class jobs, by the way, yes, because that's what the insurance industry offers for decades. The insurance industry has been a solid middle-class job. Yeah, and it, and it also is recession-proof for the most part, because as long as you have a business, as long as you have, like we were saying, every aspect of life, and you rely on your insurance for all different kinds of reasons, which are recession-proof. It, it just really is. When was the last time insurance companies lose money because of bad management or there can be certain they get involved with too much litigation things of that nature but it's never because the economy is not that's never because the market isn't there right there's always a market for insurance sometimes it's a hard market sometimes it's a soft market right sometimes there's too much competition and prices don't go down to an unsustainable level but there's everybody needs insurance and the thing is, you always either need insurance or more insurance. Right. You never don't need any. <laughs> exactly. You're correct. You're correct. So, and we need people to do those jobs. We need people to, to help us keep investing and to help keep us safe and keep our families protected so that we can retain the wealth that we generate through our businesses and retain the wealth that we build through our homes and, and the things that we acquire. Our this is so important. Yep. Charles, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing this important, this important initiative with us. And I'm going to just reiterate that Kubicki Draper is looking for 25 companies that want to support the insurance industry and want to support young, historically marginalized talent, young yes. Black students yes. to get into this industry. And how can people contact you if they want to contribute to this cause? Just by my email, really, CW at kubikidraper.com. That's right, it. We'll make sure and put that in the notes. And I sure hope that we are able to help you spread this message. Thank you for the opportunity. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio Podcast Series. Available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You.
That's it for this episode of Including You. My name is Amy C. Wanninger. I hope you'll join me next week when my guest will be Ralph Smithers Jr. from Encova Insurance, and we'll be talking about community impact. Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y.